Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. Today, we're shining a spotlight on Palo Alto Networks and SASE, but first, I would like to introduce our panelists that will be taking part today. Yeah, my name is Chris Grundeman. Uh, I work at Myriad360 and also as a research analyst for GigaOM. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Grundeman or online, chrisgrundeman.com. Yeah, I'm Jason Ginnert, CTO at Wayne Dynamics. Uh, you can find me on online uh, on Twitter at, at jginnert, J-G-I-N-T-E-R-T, uh, and also at bitsandflight.com. Hi, I'm Rohan Grover. I'm Senior Director of Product at Palo Alto Networks, and you can find me at my Twitter handle at Mountain Viewer. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise of today's podcast. As I mentioned in the opening, today's spotlight is going to be on Palo Alto Networks and a new term that's been popping up in the SD-WAN space. You've probably heard of it. Secure Access Service Edge, pronounced SASE. What is it? Is it traditional SD-WAN? Is it something more security focused? Or as some of the more pessimistic folks in the community have said, is it really just a marketing term that someone came up with to uh, describe a new thing that really is a bunch of old things that we kind of cobbled together to, to sell it to you? There's a little bit of cynicism in the world, I think because we've been burned by these kinds of rapid transitions to new technology and new terminology before. But the good news is, is that we think that there's a little bit more behind this than just a simple rebranding. So the premise of today's episode is that SASE is more than just a marketing term. Now, I want to open this up by uh, asking Rohan, you've been very instrumental in the Palo Alto Network's CloudGenics SD-WAN uh, technology for quite a while. What is driving this um, discussion around SASE versus SD-WAN? What, what are we really dealing with here? So it's a great question, Tom. I think as uh, you know, uh, industries have been going through digital transformation, uh, IT is really transforming to a services type economy. And the traditional way of delivering capabilities is moving from a on-prem model to a cloud model. And I think SASE is a reflection of that. SD-WAN was the first step in trying to move there from a networking standpoint, but people have quickly realized that networking and connectivity is not enough, right? The, you have to add the security aspect of this if you want to complete that transformation. So SASE, I think, is a natural evolution of taking what traditionally used to be on-prem capabilities and moving them as cloud-delivered capabilities. In this case, it's networking and security delivered from the cloud. Great. Um, that, that sounds like an interesting transformation. Uh, Chris, in part of your role as an analyst for GigaOM, I'm sure you've been talking to a lot of companies out there that are looking at doing these transitions. And I'm sure that over the course of 2020, a lot of those um, plans got accelerated because of a lot of other factors going on in the world. Uh, is what you're seeing in the real world kind of tracking with what Rohan was saying is that, you know, SASE is kind of this growth and development away from just pure play networking and more into the services-based security focused model? Yes, absolutely. I think you know more and more any networking conversation at all, you know SD WAN or otherwise, has to include security, uh, and that's just been something that's happened over the last couple of years. And then definitely the more distributed enterprises and the more adoption of cloud really drove SD WAN, and that same trend is now driving additional security. That's why we're seeing things like a secure web gateway, firewall as a service, uh, CASB, and zero trust network access added into the mix as cloud delivered security offerings on top of that network connectivity, because really they are the same thing, right? What we're really trying to do 
is enable a secure and mobile workforce. Yeah, I would agree that, that a lot of this is kind of focused around the idea that it's no longer just utility connectivity that we need to worry about. It's, it's about user enablement and things like that. Now, Jason, as a CTO of WAN Dynamics, you've also been doing a lot of work with SD-WAN uh, with customers and things like that. How is this approach of SD-WAN becoming sassy and being more focused on services, has that transformed the conversations that you've been having with people as they look at the possibility of either implementing it for the first time or potentially upgrading what they already have to enable some of these new services that could be of uh, use to their uh, population? Yeah, definitely, it's been changing the conversations we have. Um, so we come from an SD-WAN background. We've been providing managed SD-WAN services for a long time, but there would always be this uh, contention that, uh, between you know the WAN and security teams, and you know where were the lines drawn as far as you know how the network would come together. And now with with SASE, it's becoming easier to to blend those two things together. And much like the way SD-WAN, you know, even though it was technologies put together that, that have been around for a long time, um, that the sum was greater than their parts. I think the same is true of SASE. You're gonna see as those integrations happen, uh, the, you know, the, the sum that you have, the, the security posture that you have with the SASE solution will be greater than, than the individual parts, just the, you know, just the firewall and just the, the CASB and just the, you know, the endpoint security solutions and tying all of those things together and having you know, one point of visibility all integrated, um, you know, there's really something to be said for that. You, you mentioned something, Jason, that I kind of want to uh, discuss here just for a minute. And that's this idea that historically, the network connectivity team and the security team were both were working toward the same goal, but they were definitely different teams with different approaches to things. And it does create some friction inside of organizations. We've seen this historically with the virtualization and storage teams at some point in the past. We've seen it between the networking and the wireless teams in the past. But I think that the security team has always kind of gotten this, um, I don't know, the scarlet letter on their, on their shirt that says, you know, we're the department of no, you can't do all these things that you wanna do because it's not gonna be safe. Rohan, coming from a background of SD-WAN, but also being tightly integrated into the things going on at Palo Alto Networks, how are you and your team working to kind of reduce the amount of friction and, and infighting between these two teams to provide a more holistic approach with things like SASE? Yeah, so Tom, I think you're absolutely right. The security teams have been traditionally known as the no team, but there's growing recognition that IT needs to become an enabler of the business and not inhibit the business. And I think you're seeing a lot of security teams are more open to having the conversation uh, of maybe a, a more flexible organization structure that will uh, enable this. From, from our standpoint, from Palo Alto standpoint, we absolutely see this transition happening over the next few years. And we do believe that there is a kind of a role-based access control type mechanism to enable the networking teams to do their thing while also enabling a few security controls and vice versa, the security teams to do their security policies while also having some uh, cross-pollination so that it's easier than where it is today. And, and certainly this is gonna keep accelerating um, as a result of the distributed workforce and, and the, the world that we live in today. Yeah, I would agree that as our workforce has become kind of you know working from home or really working from anywhere other than the office, uh, this idea that security teams kind of have the dominion of we can 
keep our eyes on everything all at once is slowly starting to go away simply because it's easy or it's hard enough to manage one enterprise network or a collection of them. But when you're having to manage you know, hundreds or even thousands of enterprise networks that just happen to be located in people's houses, it's much, much more difficult to manage that at scale without deeper integration into the networking teams. Uh, Jason, is this something that you're seeing in your experience where, you know, as workers are kind of distributed to their remote um, facilities, you know, my home office, for example, that that the idea that the security team has uh, carte blanche to do whatever they want is slowly starting to slip away? I do. And that's why you're seeing more of a zero trust network access approach, you know, taken in, in many you know, security teams where, you know, nothing is trusted. And um, I mean, you still need, uh, I, I still think you need um, the, the, this has the approach to really pull this in, especially with, you know, last year with COVID and so many people moving to work from home um, and, and that distributed workforce being even more so um, that, that having the capabilities to tie these disparate components together and be able to, you know, have policy clearly defined for whether, you know, users were working on prem or whether they were working from home. Um, I, I think that that's more important than ever, but that zero, zero trust approach, that's, that's key to, to success for the future. Yeah, Chris, is that kind of tracking with what you're seeing, this idea that the zero trust user-based access policies that need to integrate with all of these other security tools are kind of driving those conversations with, you know, people in the industry because, well, it's the only way we're going to be able to lock things down and, and have control over it? Absolutely. And, and I think it does tie back to a longer trend. I think, you know, something you mentioned earlier about, you know, the last year of the pandemic and lockdowns and everyone working remotely, or at least many, many people working remotely, that was really just an acceleration of an existing trend, right? And so, you know, the multisyllabic word for this is deparameterization. The way to visualize this is to look at, you know, go back 20 years and think about in a small office with servers in the closet, and you could literally lock the doors at night and go home. And you had a perimeter that, that no one could get inside of and all your applications were inside of that perimeter. And now that has completely gone away, right? Especially like you said, this year, it's been accelerated where people are working from home, they're working from coffee shops, they're working from wherever, and even in a normal place, right? They may be working from airplanes or anything else, and your applications are no longer in that closet either. So your users have left the building, your applications are now in the cloud or, or somewhere else. And you know, where do you draw that line of the infrastructure I own and need to secure versus the infrastructure that I'm using that actually is belonging to someone else? And you really can't, right? And so that's where this level of virtualization and understanding security at that kind of uh, virtualized layer of what is my network is no longer defined by a location or physical infrastructure. It's really about users and applications. And that's why the ident identity is such a big piece of this as well. Yeah, and I think, Chris, you, you kind of hinted at what I consider to be one of the biggest transition points, not just related to the pandemic and the working from anywhere, but even before that, we were starting to see this transition away from on-premises equipment, on-premises applications, these little clustered areas of enterprise networks that were all tied together, and this transition into the cloud as driving these things. And if you've been in the IT industry for more than a couple of months, you've probably heard the term digital transformation. But it was hard for us to kind of conceptualize how our existing technologies were going to be able to take us there. I mean, when we think about traditional WAN infrastructure, we think about branch offices, we think about MPLS, we think about static, stoic connectivity with no capability to, to change and modify. And now we're living in a world where almost all of our resources could be living in a data center on one of either coasts. And we need a VPN access. We need to ensure that our users are safe when we get there. 
um, cloud is changing the way that we look at things. And I know that some companies who have been working on SD-WAN solutions have had a hard time catching up with the way that users are shifting to the cloud. Now, I'm guessing, Rohan, that given the background that Palo Alto Networks has for security and their cloud enablement, that that wasn't a problem for you guys when you brought the CloudGenix solution on board, and that I'm assuming you do have some robust cloud um, SASE type offerings that can help enable your users, correct? Absolutely. So, I mean, as everyone knows, Palo Alto has been the security leader uh, for many, many years. And we've spent a lot of time perfecting our kind of single pass security capabilities to make sure you can do all of the complicated security functions, threat prevention, URL filtering, IPS in one pass. Now we augment that with our completely cloud delivered SD-WAN solution. And one of the fundamental differentiators of that CloudGenic solution is it is completely application defined and it is fully autonomous. Uh, one thing that Chris said, which really you know rings home, is that you're going from hundreds of branches to hundreds of thousands of potential users, which now act as mini or micro branches. It's impossible to manage any of this if you don't have uh, capabilities to to automate and scale this out. I mean, we have customers in the last year, like Price Waterhouse Coopers, that went from a few hundred physical branches to 220,000 mobile users. How do you manage that? The existing uh, infrastructure automation capabilities don't cut it. Like you need something that is completely API driven uh, and that can be automated like from day zero to day N all the way. And I think that's where CloudGenix and you know, Palo Alto's Prisma Access solution really shine. Yeah, I would agree that the ability to automate this solution, to deploy it in dozens or hundreds of locations rapidly to provide the same experience to everyone is a huge win in your book. Um, anybody who's ever spent days or weeks handcrafting these perfect little snowflake WANs know exactly how big of a pain in the neck that is, especially when one of them breaks and you have to be the person to get the pager call at three in the morning. Um, you know, Jason, you, you've spent a lot of time out in the field working on this. Uh, is the ability of these, uh, you know, solutions to build and to be repeatable and to have API access, you know, all the, the next gen stuff we hope that you would get in a new solution. Is that something that you feel can not only ease the uh, deployment of the solution, but the operations of it as well? Yeah, we saw it firsthand last year where customers, the, when, when the pandemic hit and they had to send all the workers home, um, they they just didn't have the capacity in their data centers with their existing firewalls to expand and add the number of users they needed to support on the network. So with that, we were able to bring in and we actually leveraged Palo Alto's uh, Prisma Access to, to elastically scale uh, the uh, you know the infrastructure to be able to support that many users. And that's the nice thing is that you don't have to go out and, and figure out how many firewalls do we have to get to, you know to cobble together uh, you know enough access for all these users. you can just scale it up on demand. And it was uh, we had many clients in the you know in April and May that were taking advantage of that and moving over in droves. And the elasticity is something there's something to be said for that as well. Uh, just being able to scale up and down quickly when you need to. Um, and we, we see that as all part of the, you know, is some of the points you made, made earlier, um, what we like to call connectivity transformation at WAN Dynamics, that along with the digital transformation that's happening with cloud and where users work, um, the, the, the networks had to change. So SD-WAN was kind of ushered in to make the, the WAN easier to manage. And I think SASE is going to make it so uh, you can build zero uh, trust network architectures that scale 
with the business. And you know, when you need to shift demands from prem uh, to remote users, and and then you know, you, we got to consider when this thing start. You know, if these vaccines work and people start to go back to to the office, scaling it all back as well. Wow, Jason, it kind of sounds like you're touching on this idea of a hybrid cloud where there's some things that live in my office and there's some things that live in my cloud provider of choice and I can move them back and forth at will. And man, I thought that was just, that was kind of like a, a, a fairy tale that, that people told me to convince me to stop moving all of my stuff to Amazon. Um, you know, Chris, is, is this idea of, of SD-WAN enabling a hybrid cloud environment and providing security over the top of it with SASE, is that something that you've, you've seen customers and, and, and done research on that they're kind of interested in this idea? Definitely. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the terms hybrid cloud and then especially multi-cloud, again, those cynics in the industry sometimes kind of poo-poo some of that. But what I've seen is that that's absolutely a reality for most folks. And so, you know, even if your goal is eventual 100% cloud adoption, right, there's a lot of companies that have declared they're cloud first companies and they're moving all in on the cloud. There is a transition period of hybrid cloud um, that, that has to be there. It's just mandatory, right? There's no way to just, unless you're going to shut the lights off for a while and come back on in the cloud, that that is part of the transition. And then what you find is usually when you start looking at refactoring applications and, and moving things around, there are reasons that keep some things on premises. Uh, and there's also reasons to use, you know, one cloud over another for different applications or different use cases, whether you're doing, you know, your, your data lake in one place or you're doing like a data lake house in another place. Um, there, there's a lot of reasons to, to look at various places to put your workloads that are most efficient for those specific workloads. Um, and, and so absolutely, I think that SD-WAN is a technology that has responded to that very well or, or it kind of was, was driven by that really that ability to connect those things together in a way that, you know, simply legacy architectures could not do, right? You literally can't drop a fiber into AWS or Azure or, or GCP uh, and, or nor Salesforce or Slack or anywhere else, right? You just can't run an MPLS circuit to those places. You really need some other option. And SD-WAN seems to be the solution that, that is, people are landing on. And then, as you said, you layer in the security on top of that and converge that network and security, uh, which again, I believe is just mandatory at this point. If you're not you know, doing things uh, to secure your network traffic and to secure the users over your network and the applications over your network, um, you're in for a rude surprise pretty quickly, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Well, it sounds like we've done a really good job of, of highlighting the importance of an SD-WAN solution that includes elements of SASE and, and that have uh, cloud enablement and a bunch of other things that really that we need to be looking at as we either upgrade our existing SD-WAN solutions, or we look at implementing something for the future. But I really want there to be a takeaway from this. I need, I want you as the panelists to tell me, what is the number one SASE feature that customers who are looking to implement SD-WAN should be looking for when they're evaluating a solution? And Chris, I'm going to start with you because I, I want to get your perspective on this. What's the number one SASE thing that I, as a customer, should be evaluating whenever I'm looking at a new solution? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think there, there's definitely a lot of pieces that, that make a lot of sense here. And there's some pieces that aren't necessarily included in what we're currently calling SASE that, that are needed. Um, but if I had to pick one, I think it's the zero trust network access, right? Um, firewall as a service is, is, is pretty important, but a physical firewall in a lot of places works really well still today, right? You can even ship them to people's houses if you had to, you can make it work. Um, the zero trust network access, I think, is really the piece that SASE adds and, and when combined with SE-WAN really gives you kind of that, that one plus one equals three effect, um, where a secure web gateway or a cloud access security broker are, are additional things that are really great, 
Um, but I got to pick uh, ZTNA. Cool. Uh, Jason, what's your number one SASE feature that customers looking to implement a SASE solution should be looking for? Uh, comprehensive uh, network security policy. So being able to, whether the users are in the branch, whether they're working from home, no matter where they are, being able to have one unified security policy for all of your users to be able to you know, rapidly make changes and to be sure that you're, you're comp compliant across the board. I think that's key. All right. And Rohan, I saved the best for last because obviously you've had a lot of experience with this and you know what your customers have been coming to you looking for. From your perspective, what is the number one SASE solution that people should be looking for whenever they're evaluating whether or not to implement a specific um, platform to do the work? Sure, and I'm gonna cheat a little because I'm gonna agree with what Chris and Jason said, but I'm gonna add um, what my perspective is. So I think user experience and bringing together all of this in one consistent manner is super critical, right? If a lot of people claim to do this and they have bolt-on solutions uh, for security, for networking, and they get pieces from all over the place. Uh, you know, anybody who can give you that consistent user experience for security, for networking, from a policy perspective, I think you know that's the type of vendor that's going to eventually win this market. Yeah, I would agree that that that's one of those things. You know, the best solution in the world is never going to be functional if nobody can implement it. And we've seen a lot of attempts to do this in the past that have just failed miserably simply because the people implementing it couldn't make it work the way that they needed it to in the time that they had. And I think that maybe that's really the value of buying an SD-WAN solution that has SASE enablement already baked into it. You're not attempting to bolt security on at the end of the, the process. I mean, we've talked a lot over the years about the need to shift security earlier and earlier in the development model when we're building applications. But the truth of the matter is we need to shift it into the beginning of everything that we do. And if you're trying to buy a solution that just says, okay, well, we'll secure it later, you never will. Whereas with a solution like uh, SASE, you get it baked in from the beginning and you can turn on the pieces you need when you need them. You have them available in the event that, I don't know, you suddenly need to send a few thousand people home to work from their home offices and you don't have to worry about, well, I hope all of this stuff is gonna work together by the time it's all said and done with. So I think over the course of this recording, we've pretty much figured out that SASE definitely isn't just a marketing term, that there's a lot of great, um, thought that's gone into it. There's a lot of great uh, technology behind it that will hopefully enable our users to be more productive, to be safer, and to allow our businesses to transform, even though the world around them is fairly unstable. Um, Rohan, as the person on the, the podcast from uh, Palo Alto Networks, and as someone who's behind the Palo Alto Networks Cloudgenic SD-WAN solution, where can people go to learn more about this, uh, about what you guys offer from a SASE perspective, as well as all the other uh, great technologies that you've gotten in your next gen SD-WAN platform. So uh, Tom, I think the best place is to go to paloaltonetworks.com slash SD-WAN. That's a great starting point to explore uh, our next gen SD-WAN solution, as well as the larger SASE Prisma access play that we have. All right, we'll make sure to have a link to that in the show notes. So if you're watching this video on our website at gestaltit.com, you should just be able to click over and find the information that you're looking for. 
I want to thank all of you for joining us today for this uh, on-premise IT roundtable uh, discussing SASE. Uh, we hope that you found it informative and that it helps you with your planning and maybe even your implementation process going forward. If you'd like to check out more great podcasts like this, please head over to our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast, where you can always find the latest episode. And you can also head over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltitvideo to find more episodes of the on-premise IT roundtable, as well as more great content there on a variety of technical topics. But for myself, for our great guests, and for Palo Alto Networks, I want to thank you very much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>